it's always a blessing for me to be able to share with my Cornerstone family. And I say that because I really do feel like this church, this community is my family. I travel a lot, as you may imagine, and speak in a lot of different contexts. And uh, there's something special about being with you. And it's a different experience for me, and, uh, and I enjoy that. And I appreciate the opportunity to try and connect with this family every now and then when I'm invited. And so that's what I hope to do today. And I chose this idea of family because that's the direction I want to take us in. As we think of our, our summer series, Wisdom for Living, you'll notice in your handout, I talk about the wisdom of God's forever family. And that title actually is the title of a book, one of my favorite books that I've read so far this year, God's Forever Family. And it's a unique retrospective, a historical review of the Jesus Revolution. And uh, I don't know if you've heard of the Jesus Revolution, but it was something that happened in our country and especially in this area in the midst of the more well-known countercultural revolution. The, uh, the hippie movement, that uh, in the midst of all of this upheaval, God began to work in the hearts of, of people to bring them to himself. And uh, the Jesus revolution was, was something that enabled people to, to access a whole new experience of faith in God. Uh, hippie communes became Christian communes. And the word brother and, and sister... Uh, became a unique part of the language of these people. And, uh, you know, it, that was actually also the beginning of the Jews for Jesus movement and ministry. Many of those young hippies were Jewish, and they began to discover faith and life in the person of Jesus Christ. And it was, uh, you know, for all of those who were going through this experience you know, didn't find what they were looking for in that famous summer of love. Uh, they found a new kind of love in the Lord. And uh, Jews for Jesus grew out of that movement, even though uh, we were officially incorporated in 1973, so we're actually in our 40th anniversary year. Uh, the organization really grew out of the flow of that movement of God. And, you know... We discovered, Jewish believers in Jesus, a family that we really needed because at the time when we first came and started following the Lord, we, we thought, oh, you know, if our family only knew what we've discovered, you know, if they really understood who Jesus is, they're going to believe just like we did. And, you know, for a while there, the Jewish community was kind of like, wow, what are they saying, Jews for Jesus? Are, are they like, you know, that, that song from the Doobie Brothers, you know, Jesus is just all right with me, you know? Is that what's going on here? And, and though, when, they, when they discovered that, no, actually what we were saying is that Jesus is the one that we've been waiting for. He's the promised Messiah. He's the Savior of the world. Then they said, that's a bridge too far. And I still remember when the Northern California Board of Rabbis uh, issued an edict that no synagogue was ever to allow a Jew for Jesus to come and be a part of their services, and that no longer were Jews for Jesus to be allowed to be buried in Jewish cemeteries. And there was this sense of real alienation, you know? Um, and as I've thought about my own life, I've, I've stood for the last... 
20 years as the executive director of Jews for Jesus, and I've had to assume a, a, a public persona that, that deals with that. You know, it's kind of tough to, to stand knowing that really your own people, the family according to the flesh, doesn't really want you around. And you have to kind of get tough. And sometimes it's hard to access your own feelings and emotions because you, you develop an exterior. So we've had to learn to know how to cope with alienation. And I think for all of us, when it comes to issues of family, <laughs> there are times where we feel alienated, where we've experienced rejection. And the wisdom of God's forever family is that we can be embraced by a new supernatural family that's, that's his family, a family that welcomes us, a family in which we can belong, despite what our experiences may have been with our own family, our physical family, our father, our mother. And that's a really good thing. And when we can understand that, we can access that, that really brings true wisdom. And in fact, in our handout, it's the Apostle Paul, that rabbi from Tarsus, who really understood this and explained it perhaps better than anyone else in the scriptures. And if you think about his background, it's kind of like similar. You know, he was a rabbi, right? He was, in fact, probably one of the Sanhedrin, the ruling elders in the Jewish community. But when he confronted, when he came to know the risen Jesus, all of that became something that he had to be willing to sacrifice. And so it's no wonder then that he gets really excited about this idea of there being a new family, a family to belong, to be accepted in, to be embraced, to be encouraged by. And in fact, in Ephesians chapter 3, the first 11 verses are one sentence, one long run-on sentence. And <laughs> Paul was given to, you know, run-on sentences, but this is actually the longest run-on sentence in the Bible because he's unpacking this idea of God's forever family. And he gets so excited, he just kind of keeps on talking. And so I've picked out a few verses that I think really highlight what he was trying to say there. And the first one is verse 6. About God's forever fa family, he says, and this is God's plan. This is it. Both Gentiles and Jews. Now, some of us may not be familiar with the term Gentile. It really comes from the Hebrew word goyim, which means nations. So the nations, that's anybody who's other than the Jewish people. That's what a Gentile is, okay? Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news, that is that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of the living God. Well, what, what happens? Well, they share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body, and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. You see those words there, belong, share? That's what family's all about, to be able to belong. Despite what the other part of your life meant, when you believe in Jesus, you become a part of this family. With people from every tribe and tongue and nation, there's a new unity, there's a new belonging, and Paul gets so excited about that. And that's what we have together, too. 
if we know Jesus. And in fact, later on in that same chapter, he tells us about how this really is wisdom. He says, God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety. See, there's this, it's not just the wisdom of God, but it's all the richness of the variety of God's wisdom. God wanted to use the church, that's his forever family, to put this on display, to let everybody see this great wisdom. And, and in what context? To all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Wow. So it's not just for us here on earth. It's for angels and principalities and powers in unseen realms. God wanted his wisdom to be seen all around the globe and all around the world, throughout the cosmos, at every level of his creation, God displayed his wisdom. And how did he do it? With this amazing forever family. We get to be a part of this eternal plan. Something that was not seen, Paul talks about it as a mystery that's now been revealed. And later on, also in Galatians, he explains further how this works. Because it's not just about Jews and Gentiles being, you know, from different uh, groups of people being brought together, but they're made family because they become children of Abraham. Get this, Galatians 3. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ. We're not our own. We belong to him. Now that this is true, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. This is an amazing thing. Paul is so excited about this new reality. It wasn't known before, and now it is, and he's unpacking it for us. You're a child of Abraham, just like me. I was born Jewish, and because of that, physically descended from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. But those who belong to Christ are also children of Abraham. You're not going to get that from Ancestry.com, are you? <laughs> ah, there's a lot of people that are interested in their ancestry and accessing, you know, what their lineage is. But this is an amazing spiritual dynamic that we don't often appreciate that makes us together here real family, family that counts forever. And, you know, I don't know, if you went to camp, there's this funky song that I learned, and maybe you learned it too. Uh, Father Abraham had many sons. You know the song? Many sons had Father Abraham, and I am one of them, and so were you. And so let's just go like this right hand. Father Abraham had many sons. <laughs> Did you learn that in camp? Well, you know, it's, yeah, did you ever stop and wonder what that means? Well, there's this amazing heritage that we have and a spiritual connection that goes all the way back to the beginning. So travel with me back there, if you will, because the impulse of family, the blessing of family is something that God intended from the very beginning. We go all the way back to the earliest of the biblical record and you can see a family in the garden but we also see something that was very broken very quickly in that family. Cain and Abel, remember the story? The jealousy 
in Cain's heart rose up with rage so that he killed his own brother. The blood of Abel cried out from the ground. And it's been crying out ever since, brother against brother, family that's broken. And we see this tragically worked out throughout the world and throughout human history. That though family is good, there's something broken. Later on, in those same early chapters of the book of Genesis, we find humanity trying to resolve this conflict by coming together to try and create a different kind of a unity, a unity apart from God. Maybe you've heard the story of the Tower of Babel. Well, people from different walks of life said, well, we're going to get together and establish a unity, a kind of a family, if you will, by building a tower. And this tower is going to go up to the heavens, and, and it's going to be a demonstration of how we can make it happen, how we can work it out, how we can bring unity through our own efforts. And unfortunately, it was a unity that was, uh, they tried to establish apart from the leadership of God, apart from submission to him as father. And so God saw that, and he scattered them around the world, uh, ch changed their languages, hence, hence the term Babel. The Tower of Babel led to this great disaffection and families were scattered around the world and yet God didn't leave it that way because you see the impulse to want to have unity and family together is a good one when it's done God's way. And that's why the very next chapter we're introduced to our father, <laughs> to Abram. Abram and his wife, Sarah. And God said, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a family, which was quite the challenge because if you remember the story, they had no children at the time and they were in their 70s. And so this was not going to be an ordinary family. This was going to be a family that God was orchestrating for a purpose that they couldn't even see. He says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. God intended to bless his people who chose to submit to him as father with a great and wonderful family. But it didn't happen right away. And so we find Abram and Sarah trying to help God out in the process. Remember. Sarah says, hey, why don't you just take Hagar and have a baby with her, my handmaid, so that, you know, we can get this thing done. Or, or Eliezer of Damascus, Abraham says, God, let him be my son because he's such a faithful servant. And God said, no, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to do it my way, and there's going to be a family that I build. And Abraham and Sarah were just about ready to, to give up hope altogether and God comes and speaks a word of hope and grace. And it's in your hand out here in Genesis 15. It's so wonderful. When we're discouraged, when we're down, when we're feeling like whatever hopes we had of, of relationship, of belonging, are just a faint glimmer, God comes along and speaks a word of hope and faith to us. That's what is happening in this section here. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, Look up into the sky and, and count the stars, if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. 
Now, this is actually one of the most important passages in the Older Testament because it not only begins to hint at what Paul later is going to get so excited about, this great family, but it also tells us how we get to be a part of that family. It's not by flesh and blood. It's not by our own human effort. What is it by? It's by faith. Abraham believed the Lord. He believed this promise that seemed so dim at the, at the time. He believed, and God said, that's what you need to do to be righteous. And an amazing experience of looking up at those stars and, and saying, those stars represent a hope that I'm, my, my faith is fading, my faith is weak, but there's an image of something that God has promised me, and I want to believe that contrary to all the other evidence. What does that mean? You know, there's a, a, a summer camp program that Juice for Jesus established back in 1990. My own kids went through it. It's called Camp Gilgal, and we have them all over the country in Israel and other places. And uh, recently in, uh, in North America, every, every, every night they have something called tabernacle time where they're given a Bible lesson and then they're, they're given a chance to reflect on it. And one of those Bible lessons was this story from Genesis chapter 15. And the kids were told about it and then they were invited to go and lay out on the grass and look up at the stars in the sky. And it was quiet. And one of the kids said, do we know how many stars there are in the sky? And the camp counselor said, no, the scientists haven't figured out how to do that yet. Silence. One of the other kids said, well, why don't the scientists just count all the Jews? <laughs> don't you love it? Very practical way of thinking about it. but. You know, we often think that, well, that story must be about just that, that the Jewish people are there. And there are 13 million Jews, so I think there are more than 13 million stars, right? But you see, what we find out from Paul here is that, and what Abraham didn't quite understand, certainly, is that God was going to give him a family, yes, but it was going to be so much greater than that family. It was going to be more than just the physical descendants of Abraham. It was going to be those who belong to Abram's greater son, the Lord Jesus, these would be his family too. That's an important thing to know. I've had a lot of time out in the wilderness uh, looking up at the stars, and sometimes I've, I've gone out there backpacking when my hope is fading, when I'm feeling, you know, uh, less than, uncertain, heartbroken over certain things in my own family life, and and you look up at the, sta the stars, and, and there's a sense of loneliness, you know, the vastness of the universe. And I'm sure Abraham must have felt that too. You know, wow, is this ever going to happen? In this great big universe, why do I matter? And yet God was able to say to Abraham, this is not just a picture of vastness in which you are alone, but this is a picture of a forever family that I'm going to make through you and for you. And that's a good reminder to me, to all of us, that even the biggest vastness of the universe, if we see it in the context of the promises of God and of his faithfulness, can be an encouragement because his word is to us that we do belong, that despite any sense of alienation or struggle or pain, 
He's there. He's our Father. And He's given us one another to be family to one another. So, so what are the implications of this for us? How do we take these truths from the very beginning all the way to the present? How do we take them and make it wisdom for us in our own lives? Well, I have three words that I'd like to suggest as words that bring forward an, a, an application for us, and they are connect, embrace, and shine. You see, if it is true that the greatest wisdom that God has on display, both on earth and in heaven, is this plan to establish his forever family, then it really makes sense for us to connect with that family, don't you think? To be a, to be a part of it. And I know that not every one of us here today has necessarily taken that step to, to become a part of the family, uh, to embrace this new reality that God makes available to us through faith in Jesus. Maybe some of us are fearful. Some of us perhaps need to reconnect. And in fact, that's kind of my story as well because what I didn't tell you is that both of my parents, Jewish, also became believers in Jesus. And so I had the opportunity. They, they live in, in Israel right now, in Jerusalem, so I'm praying a lot for them these days. But, you know, the reality is that they then raised me with an understanding of my Jewish identity, but also that Jesus was the Messiah. And I grew up in a suburb of Boston called Newton, which is a very Jewish community. And all of my friends were Jewish. And uh, the more I grew up, the more I wanted to fit in, and the more it, it became obvious to me that the Jesus part of my identity didn't really help that process, you know? And when you're a kid, you want to fit in, right? You want to be a part of the gang. And, and uh, I just kind of started to back away from the whole Jesus part and try and find life and belonging without him. I had my own Tower of Babel experience. And uh, it didn't meet any of the real heartfelt need to belong. I had friends, but it was all kind of a superficial thing because there was something real that I knew, something a part of me that I was embarrassed to show, ashamed to wear on my sleeve, and so I kept it hidden. And I wasn't being authentic. And it was only later as a student at Boston University, as a freshman, that walking down by the student union, I looked up and there were some of those Jews for Jesus that you saw with their blue jean jackets on, you know? And, uh, and I, I was kind of like a, a, a Holy Spirit confrontation, you know? I realized in the moment that I saw them that this was a divine appointment that God was giving me, another chance to see where my family really was, my true family. So I went up to them, and they invited me to come to a Bible study, and after a whole world of excuses, <laughs> I did. I went. And I remember walking into that room, and there were about 15 college-age Jewish kids 
who loved Jesus sitting on the floor with Bibles open. And there was just such a sense of welcome and love and acceptance. Even though I was brand new to the group, I sensed that. And God really, through those people, loved me to himself. And the prophet Jeremiah, God says to his people, I've loved you with an everlasting love. Yes, with loving kindness, I've drawn you to myself. And, and I have to say that God drew me, if you will, back to his forever family through the love of his people. And so some of us today, that may be our story as well, that we kind of wandered off. We became, it became inconvenient to be identified with that forever family. And, and now, now God, through the love of this community perhaps, is wooing us to come back, to connect or, or to reconnect. And when we do that, there is such a welcome. <laughs> There's such a sense of acceptance. There's such a sense of grace and peace and, and forgiveness that can be had. You know, the famous psychiatrist Carl Menninger said that people need forgiveness. And he, he knew that in his mind that if people could experience forgiveness, the people that he was working with, 75% of them would walk out of his hospital if they could know true forgiveness. And God makes that available. God makes that healing and that welcome and that acceptance available to us here in his forever family. And that's, that's meaningful. That's something that when we connect, then we can embrace. Embrace, what I mean by that word is that we embrace the full implications of what it means to be a part of God's forever family. You know, we live in a society where individualism is a high value, where, you know, uh, Lone Ranger kind of spirituality, oh, you know, I, I'm, I'm not religious, but I'm a spiritual person. But the true spirituality is not done as a solo operation. God says, no, the way you connect, the way you are in relationship with me is through a family. What are the implications of that? Well, it means that we don't look at our relationship as, uh, you know, what's in it for me, that consumerist mindset that's so prevalent in our society, but rather we look to see how can I serve? And when we come to a place like Cornerstone, we're here as family and we begin to change how we value things, how we value people. We connect and embrace one another and experience the welcome and receive the grace of God by serving one another, by building relationships within the family that help us, even when maybe in other contexts it will cause alienation and pain. We can still come and receive that comfort in his love by being part of this great family. God wants to take whatever experiences of alienation and difficulty and pain that we may have had in the past, and he wants to heal them, and he wants to renew us in the midst of his forever family. Just like Jewish believers in Jesus have discovered in the body of Messiah a welcome that we don't get 
in the rest of the Jewish community. So everyone who comes from different backgrounds and has experienced similarly alienation can find a welcome, can find encouragement. And we have family not only here, but if for some reason we have, for, because of a change of life or job transfer or whatever, we have to leave this family. There's a whole other representation of God's forever family that we have yet to meet. Brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers who want to love us, who want to welcome us, who want us to be a part of them. And that's a comforting thought, isn't it? We want to embrace the implications of what it means to be part of God's forever family. And if we do that, then we can really shine. We can shine as lights in the world. In fact, Paul talks about that in this last passage that I have in your bulletin, another letter that he writes to the Philippians about our being family, the children of God. And he prays for them. He says, he prays that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. We don't have to really look too far to see that we're living in a generation that has that same kind of brokenness that began all the way back in the beginning. We just look, turn on the news and see how broken our world is. But when we join together with Jesus and with our forever family, we have a chance to be a part of this eternal plan, a hopefulness to shine in a dark world, to shine for other people to see, to shine like stars in the sky, like when Abraham, God said, look at the stars, and he was able to see and have faith and believe. So as we shine, other people, their gaze will be drawn towards the heavens and they'll see and they'll want the same God and the same family and the same grace and forgiveness and acceptance that we have experienced for ourselves. And we get to shine that. Where is it that God wants us to shine? I know it's a risk <laughs> to take the step to shine Jesus wherever we are, but I want to challenge us to do that because it's such a blessing. We really have connected and embraced with the, this goodness of God. At every level of our lives, we can shine and reflect his goodness to others so that they too will want to be a part of our family. And God does that if we're willing to take the risk and shine. And sometimes the shining comes in the midst of some of the most painful, difficult experiences because when we're down, when we're like Abraham, just about ready to give up on the promise of God, that's when the, the light shines brightest. Recently, uh, I had the very painful experience of having one of our young staff members um, in Jews for Jesus die. He was, he was um, diagnosed last September with uh, stage 3B lung cancer. His name is Sean Trank. And such a vibrant guy. He was the head of our multimedia department, and he was just full of life and full of ideas, just newly married, 
28 years old. And, um, you know, we prayed and we believed that God would heal him. But the cancer progressed. But the amazing thing for me, and I've never seen this quite the same way in other people's lives, is that the more ill, the sicker he got, the more he shined. And he, you know, because he was into social media and, and, and he lived his life uh, for everybody to see. He was honest and, and authentic and accessible in, in, in talking about how he was suffering and how he was still believing. And the very last words, you know, the doctors, his lungs began to fail and, and uh, he, he had to be intubated. And he knew that he wasn't going to, he possibly couldn't wake up from this experience. And so he had his brother film this. He had his wife and his parents and his brother and sister gathered around him. And his last words were words of thanks. Thank you, God. Thank you for giving me life. Thank you for this wife of mine. Thank you for giving me opportunity to serve you. And I, I just never seen anybody die that way. And, and shining even in the darkest of his moments. That's the way I want to live my life. And if God should take me home, I want to shine like that. And we can only do it through the power of God. It's a hopefulness. It's a promise like God made to Abraham that he makes to each and every one of us. You want to shine? You want to make your life count for God? You can do it through the power of his Holy Spirit, through the Lord Jesus, and through being a part of his forever family. In just a moment, the band is going to come and have one final uh, closing song for us. I really love this song. Um, the words are printed in your handout. A sky full of stars. It's like God is the big, beautiful night sky, and we all are like stars shining there in the universe, shining his glory and his goodness. And, and no matter where we're at in this journey, we can look at these words and perhaps see a reflection of God's goodness. Because you're a sky full of stars, Lord. I want to give you my heart. I want to die in your arms. You're such a heavenly view. See if you can't sing or say this song to the Father as the band sings it. Uh, before they come, we're going to have our time of giving, and uh, I'd like to pray that God would bless this word to our hearts. Let's pray. Father, we, we know that you are our heavenly Father, that no matter what... Uh, we have lacked in our own earthly family that you, our Father, Jesus, who is the bright and morning star, our brother and our Savior, have welcomed us into a forever family in which we can experience your grace and in which we can shine brightly like the stars in the sky that others might see and join our family too. Help us to be so encouraged by these truths that we're willing to take the risks and shine this brightness even in the inconvenient, inconvenient moments that you might receive the glory 
and that we might stand for you. In Jesus' name I pray.